Hello. All right. So, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another PC Boys podcast. This is Logan, and today we're going to be doing something a little bit different. So, it's been a while since I've had somebody on the podcast, and I'm inviting on my good friend from college, uh, Alex Huff, and we're going to be talking about Marvel. But uh, first, Huff, why don't you kind of introduce yourself to the, uh, the fans and the community and just let them know a little bit about you? Yeah, sure. So hi, everybody. My name is Alexandra Huff. Most people call me either Alex or Huff. I use she, they pronouns. I grew up on a dairy farm in a small town in Maine. Um, and I'm a Twitch streamer with several school jobs. As Logan said, we're college friends. So both still in school doing what we do best, hitting the books, whether it's actually reading them or hitting them with a baseball bat. Take your pick. Um, and yeah. So, um, I guess the first thing I want to talk about uh, when it comes to Marvel is how it's made a community of fans. Um, back when, of course, you know, it was just comic books and graphic novels, it was relatively very small and kind of more of a niche community. But as um, time went on and, you know, movies started coming out and when the MCU became a really big thing, it, it became more mainstream and more people were into it. Um, so how has uh, being a part of that community and, and getting into Marvel, um, how would you say the experience is? I'd say the experience of getting into Marvel, you yourself, if you explore the cinematic universe and the graphic novels and everything that the brand has to offer by yourself, I think it's um a very surreal um experience it's one of those brands that you can really teleport yourself into and you can kind of live in that fictional universe no matter what medium you kind of adopt whether you're a reader or you're a watcher um it's definitely something for everybody and it's a very vast universe so you can put yourself in any character's shoes in any scenario, building your own characters. It's one of those franchises where, like, uh, for example, the fan fiction um, net of Marvel, it's for sure one of the broadest um, brands for people to work with in that genre. Um, but if you get into Marvel in groups, Oh my goodness, it is such a team bonding experience getting to have healthy debates with people about uh, your favorite characters. And especially when Civil War came out, the debates and friend groups between Team Cap and Team Iron Man, uh, those were the good days. <laughs> I remember when that came out. I, to be honest, I was just Team Iron Man because Spider Man was on there. But oh, uh, oh, get out of here. <laughs> But when it came down to, like, the actual story of the movie, both characters came from a very realistic standpoint. Like, Tony Stark was the guy that made these weapons of mass destruction. He felt really guilty, and he felt like government oversight would be best. But then Captain America, of course, with the experience of HYDRA taking over S.H.I.E.L.D. and uh, kind of plotting, like, their mass takeover um, and him not trusting the government and agendas. You can see where, you know, both of them came from. 
Um, so it's very interesting to see when people debated on like which side they were on. Because by all technical accounts, you could be right on either side. But there's obvious reasons as to why each character stood on the side that they did. Some characters just were kind of there like Ant-Man. He was just like, yeah, I'll <laughs> Yeah, he he didn't add too much to the storyline. I completely agree that everybody had like specifically written reasons that added to their character development or you saw their character develop in that movie. But it was it was a wonderful time when that movie came out. I was in high school. I remember going to class one day and it was one of my social studies classes. My teacher uh Mr. Botting, we had so many debates for weeks for weeks and weeks and weeks he and i and all of our classmates would just get into heated discussions in between like class lectures and youtube videos and like other educational material like projects and whatever we would spend a lot of time being like hey so civil war coming out who saw the trailer whose team are you on and why because you could also like especially in terms of like government structure you could relate it a lot to the class but also we were all such big nerds and it was uh it was one of the highlights of my high school career like i still look back on it fondly to this day of ha huh, remember those days of civil war and you'd go up to random people that you'd see at cons or in a marvel shirt and you'd be like hey hey you iron man or captain america which team you on and people would answer random strangers and it was it was a good time i don't see myself doing that right now uh but it was a good time back then <laughs> Yeah, I, I definitely agree. During the uh, phase two to three switch, I think that that's when Marvel was at its at its former best. It's, it's not there anymore. It's, it's kind of come down in quality, in my opinion. But um, what would you say are some of the cons, though, however, of being in this huge community of people with very heated opinions on either characters or storylines that they like? I think that would be, now don't get me wrong, passion is a great thing to have and it's going to add you greatly in your career path, whatever career you have. Um, But it is something that if you don't know how to communicate with other people in a healthy fashion, um, that can turn kind of toxic uh, when you don't let other people talk and share their opinion and you don't recognize when it's an opinion. So if somebody shares with you their favorite character and you're like, oh no, that character sucks. And like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You know, it's very discouraging for some fans. Like I know for me, my favorite Marvel character is actually Hawkeye. And I don't tell a lot of people that yet here I am saying it on a podcast, but (laughs) I don't tell a lot of people that because I go and say that and people are like, really out of all characters him like you couldn't go captain america bucky loki couldn't do like whiplash for crying out loud like no iron man no spider-man no black panther and i'm like nope it's just hawkeye and they're like oh well what about your girl you like the girl characters right and i'm like favorite still hawkeye i love how we're doing this right now yeah no hawk Hawkeye to me, um, I'm glad they're giving him a series, but I am I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm worried because 
So we have a Hawkeye series coming and Kate Bishop is obviously going to be like a big role in it. Um, and I feel like if we're going to get into like a Black Widow situation where this new upcoming character is going to steal the spotlight from the character that's being named, like, you know, the movie or the show is named after. And while that can be great for building up new characters, if you're going to do a show or a movie for like Black Widow, you want to make those characters the main standout. And I, I kind of worry that it's going to fall into a Black Widow situation like that. And it's actually interesting that you like one of those characters that isn't like mainstream. I don't know why people would be upset about that because I actually personally find that interesting when somebody isn't like after like the main Avengers, it's a different take and it's really interesting as to why you like that character. So that would, I guess that would be my main question. Like what really drives you to like Hawkeye? Like, was there a certain story arc? Uh, was it a, a character moment or? Yeah. Was- so Hawkeye, I was first introduced to Hawkeye. Um, I don't remember what exactly series it was, but it was one of the animation series on, I don't remember if it was Disney or Disney XD uh, growing up, but it was shortly after my family finally got cable. Um, and it was the original purple costume with like the eye pieces that I looked at it and I was like, I really like this costume design. And as a matter of fact, on my Steam account, that was my profile picture up until recently. Like, that was my profile picture for a solid eight years was that graphic novel cartoon Hawkeye costume. I That costume I fell in love with. I fell in love with the character, the way they portrayed him. And then once I got introduced to the cinematic universe, I wasn't introduced to certain snarky characters yet. That was something that came much later in just my entertainment career in general, whether it was, I think the only snarky characters I met besides in Marvel um, who like really shared their feelings and like gave really great comebacks was in the uh, wrestling entertainment universe. But I hadn't really seen those kinds of characters on screen. And so here I am sitting at home with my mom and dad and we're watching Avengers and this guy just comes out and he well, he doesn't have that big of a spotlight, but he just drops these like amazing one-liners every like once in a blue moon. And that only solidified more in Age of Ultron. I will never forget when uh, Quicksilver's running away and Hawkeye's just holding his bow there and he's like, I could do it. No one would know. No one would know. Like, I love that kind of character. And you see it more now in like anything that Ryan Reynolds plays. Um, But I wasn't allowed to watch Ryan Reynolds movies for a while. Um, So Hawkeye was really my first introduction into characters like that because Iron Man was a little too much. It was too mainstream for me to find it very intriguing. I like that side snarkiness that seems very very natural for me um and i also just really love archers in all things so whether it's green arrow or legolas or merida or katniss everdeen archers i find archery just super super cool so to have a superhero built around that you built me the perfect character (laughs) you know like it felt like hawkeye 
was built for me and and he has a farm i have a farm he has a farm like we could be besties we could totally be besties yeah and it's it's always good to find a character that you can relate to in some way because it it makes it a lot easier to read and relate to them and feel an emotional connection i mean you know you're reading the hulk and while he is badass and all you can't really relate to turning into a green hulking monster i mean you can't really relate to that um, which is funny because my dad's favorite hero is the Hulk. And he's, we're always talking about how the Incredible Hulk is much better than like the Avengers Hulk. Oh my gosh. That is always a conversation to have. He gets very heated about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can only imagine. But it's interesting you say that. I think, I think Hulk, he's definitely one of my lower ranked characters. Um, but I think the people who do relate to him, it's less so you know, turning into a green Hulk and monster. Like, if somebody out there has that condition, bless your soul. Um, But I think for the most part, people relate to the Hulk because they feel alienated. In, In a world where the Hulk is truly that nerd that gets made fun of in school, right? Like, that is Bruce Banner. And you see him compete with... Tony Stark in terms of IQ and creating things and building things and whatnot. But Tony Stark is that popular guy, right? He gets the good grades and all, but he's still well-liked by everybody. And we see it in like a high school and collegiate hierarchy, that social hierarchy of the nerds are typically on the bottom of the social totem pole. And I think that's what people see in Bruce Banner and the Hulk is that on the Bruce Banner side, you have that very, very vulnerable bottom of the social tier nerd. And on the Hulk side is that stereotype of the ones higher on that totem pole, right? Again, in like typical hierarchy, those jocks who have all the brawn and they're the ones that get the fame and get the significant others and seeing those two kinds of characters share the same body but be at war with each other and not understand each other until a good means into the Marvel Cinematic Universe and a good means into the comics right like this very in-depth discussion of fighting with your inner self and I feel like a lot of introverted people can relate to that. I feel like a lot of people who have multiple personalities and bipolar and who even just struggle with their inner thoughts of depression and whatnot, I think the Hulk is a character that shows that more than any other, as much as I personally am not a fan of him. But I think he's probably... The, one of the more realistic characters. Like, if we took these characters from the Marvel Cinematic Universe and placed them in modern-day 2021 United States, how many, like, how many of their personalities and powers and stuff shift to our current reality that we're living? And I think his would be one of the lesser shifts because I think he is built for modern 2021 society it's kind of interesting you bring that up because it also reminds me a lot of like moon knight because he's dealing with a lot of different um identity disorders 
after basically he gets possessed by the moon god Khonshu um, and gets resurrected, he he essentially has multiple personalities, but when it comes to him actually being Moon Knight and kicking people's asses, he doesn't ever remember doing it. So it's like he wakes up and he's just got blood all over him. He has no idea what's going on. And after right. seeing the little the little teaser from the Disney Plus uh, or D Plus day that they had, I was like, this looks really good. It gives me some Daredevil vibes, but at the same time, you can see what they're going for with the character and like the split personality, especially when Oscar Isaac's voice changes from like this really paranoid guy to this really like dark, like I'm gonna kick your ass. And I, I he sounds like Batman. He really does mm-hmm. kind of sound like Batman. Um, and I I was really you know excited to see that because while i'm not a huge moon knight fan from the comics i like um characters that are complex but also has that dark and gritty daredevil nature so Mm -hmm. when, when it when it came to like the hulk and stuff um you know personally i like the fact of or the fact when the hulk was a raging monster fighting with himself because it was a lot of you know interesting character development there but i feel like in the mcu after the Incredible Hulk, after his one standalone movie, they yeah. kind of his character got to be more comedic. Like you look at Thor Ragnarok, you look at Avengers, um, Infinity War, Endgame. He doesn't feel imposing. He doesn't really feel like what the Hulk should feel like. And a lot of Hulk fans have had a problem with Professor Hulk specifically because they miss like the duality of the characters and Hulk just being his, his savage self. And I can understand where they come from because, you know, as somebody that loves Spider-Man, I personally don't think the MCU Spider-Man is written in a way that he feels like Spider-Man. He doesn't feel like Spider-Man. It just feels like Tom Holland is playing a good Peter Parker and a Spider-Man but everything written around him doesn't feel like Spider-Man's story or a part of a Spider-Man story, uh, which we'll talk about that later when we start talking about No Way Home and stuff. But it, it's very interesting because people will develop connections to certain characters for certain reasons. And some characters can actually kind of have a delineation between the two, like Moon Knight and um, the Hulk when it comes to those multiple personalities. So you know, it's just nice to see that, you know, somebody doesn't just like a Captain America or an Iron Man and likes Hawkeye. You know, it really changes it up. So mm-hmm. that that's pretty cool. Oh, it's definitely cool. And I find it interesting, you know, you talk about how in the more recent movies, Hulk has turned into more of a comedic character. And again, as lower ranked as he is on my totem pole, that, you know, I'm not a Hulk fan. But that still breaks my heart. And don't... So, it's it's interesting. These newer movies that we're seeing come out, they all have that snarkiness that I am personally a huge fan of. And I thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy these new movies coming out. I think they're some of my favorite movies, actually. Um... But I recognize the fact that they, these new movies, right, are being built around an audience like me. So something that I know a lot of fans talk about is Marvel has so much to work with. They have TV shows, they have movies, they have animations of TV shows and movies. 
um, and they have all of their graphic novel series, right? All of their comic books. And we've seen, for example, Spider-Man, we've seen three different live action versions within the past few decades. We've seen Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and now Tom Holland. And the idea of a, uh, a multiverse is being introduced. But you have, as people grow up and as people age, in the media realm, Disney and therefore Marvel needs to advertise these characters who have roughly the same concept, right? Like Spider-Man still wears a similar suit. He still has powers given to him by a spider. Like the general concept is still there, but you need to morph those characters into something that the newer demographic is demanding. So I think currently in these later 2010s, early 2020s, it's not just Marvel. You watch a lot of movies. I've seen a lot of films, independent films on Netflix really take this turn. And I think it's why actors like Robert Downey Jr. and like Ryan Reynolds are so sought after right now is because that is the kind of entertainment and the kind of uh, media that consumers want is they want that comedic snarkiness, those joke characters. We, we want that. That's something that we're demanding from everything. I think not just Marvel. I, didn't really notice it until you kind of talked about it. And then it got me thinking, right? I remember growing up, I would watch these super serious movies. I mean, they weren't like serious, serious, but each action movie that I watched would have an action plot line. But I watch an action movie now and there's no such thing as a standalone action movie. It's an action comedy or it's even even romance movies, right? I can't find a normal romance movie anymore. Everything, everything is a rom-com. And I think it's less so Marvel and more society has driven them to, if you want to build a successful franchise and you want to have a great box office and a great fan reaction and whatever, the fans whether they're diehards or if they're just surface fans, right? The general consumer is demanding this kind of content. And I think we're seeing a giant shift in all movies, not just Marvel, but Marvel happens to just succumb to it because as big of a franchise as it is, if you don't, there, there's always a certain amount of fan service. And if you don't meet to that fan service, you're not going to survive. Yeah, I, and I've noticed it with horror movies, too, like the new Halloweens and stuff. Like, I'm sitting there, yeah. we got a tense moment, and then this girl gets cut by Michael Myers, and then this one kid's like, oh, shit, and it just takes you completely out of the moment of what's going on. And the thing is, I get that a lot of people want comedy, but I feel like at the same time, comedy at certain points in movies ruin what they need to go for to get the uh, the audience involved like for instance if you got a really serious scene of somebody about to die or 
you know, is in a really bad predicament, but then somebody just, you know, cracks a joke and then it, you know, it, it takes you out of that moment and you kind of lose focus of what's really happening there. Um, so like, for instance, uh, I want to talk about the difference between MCU Spider-Man and Spider-Man PS4. Both are made for today's consumer, but the main difference between the two in Spider-Man PS4, Peter Parker, the world and everything, while it is adapted to a modern audience, it still feels like a Spider-Man story. You know, Peter Parker still dealing with guilt of uncle Ben's death responsibility, even in the beginning of the game, before you even get through the first cut scene, he's already given a choice. Do I stop Wilson Fisk or do I pay my rent? I'm going to go stop Wilson Fisk. Later on, he gets evicted. Or at the end of the game, when he either has to use the one um, anti-serum for uh, Devil's Breath to cure the city or use it to save his aunt, he chooses to save the city and Aunt May dies because of that. It still is a Spider-Man story, but you still have like the modern day, like, um, you know, talking points and, and society and the technology change, but the story and the core of the character is still intact. And I feel like when it comes to making things today, you can adapt stuff to today's society, but the core of a character should still be what people know them to be because imagine one day you walk into a spider-man movie let's just say hypothetically there's like a fifth iteration of him and they're you know the only thing that this spider-man you even know about is that oh he got bit by a spider but no uncle ben died like all of his other characteristics are completely changed it's not the character you remember i personally worry about too much comedy because at some point, you're going to get to a point where you don't have a movie that feels like it has substance or weight or anything in it if people are just laughing the entire time, which I know laughter and, and comedy can be good at certain points. But like if it's laughter, like for instance, Thor Ragnarok is my least favorite Thor movie because there it just feels like a running joke. I don't feel like there's any stakes going on. Like I'm watching the end, you know, fight scene between him and Hela and I'm just like, I know he's not going to die. I don't really feel anything right now. I just, I'm kind of just indifferent. So I get what you're saying when they're trying to adapt stuff to a modern audience and that comedy really attracts a lot of the audience base. But I also feel like, cause I've heard this from many other reviewers that if there's too much comedy, it will ruin the product that you're trying to create. That is a fair assessment. I think for how long we've kind of been in this comedy spectrum of everything needs to cater to it, I think there is a horizon here coming up of another genre or another style that is going to start overtaking here as Gen Z starts to age into their late teens, early 20s. Um, as we get more of that generation into the I can buy my own stuff with my own money now, kind of phase i think we'll start to see another shift what that shift is i don't know but i'm interested to see how they're going to transition out of these comedic arts uh, arcs excuse me um and meet that new demand while keeping the same character integrities or are we going to see a bunch more um, reenactments, re-releases of, okay, same character, new actor, new arc, new universe. How far is this going to go? Because you can plan 
for the MCU, we're in phase four right now, right? You can plan for it to have X many phases and X many movies, but you might not get there according to plan. That is true because like, especially when we take a look at like with um, COVID ruining a lot of the productions and setting them back and stuff, you take a look at something like Blade, which was supposed to come out next year. That's not even really going to get under filming to like this summer. So there's a lot of shift with just that stuff too going on. That's out of their control. Um, so yeah, it, it's really just a matter of like where society's at because we all know Hollywood wants to make money and Hollywood doesn't want to do or create something that a lot of people won't like, which I think it's a, it's a very like the movie spectrum of like what people like. It's very different because you all, you have like two or three different kind of groups of people and what they're looking for. Um, like you'll, for instance, like if you look at Rotten Tomatoes or stuff, you have the people that will defend certain movies to death, even if they're good or bad. You got people that are saying every single movie in a certain franchise is going to fail all the time. Me, I'm just sitting here like I just want to judge each movie individually. But at the end mm-hmm. of the day, not every movie's gonna or, or series is going to go to everybody's taste. Same thing with comics. Comics have very much changed um in terms of their stories and stuff and you know maybe somebody might not necessarily like a new take on a character like superman and stuff i've been hearing about that um but then again if you don't like it you don't have to you know buy that specific comic you could always still read the older stuff or watch the older stuff that you enjoyed so you can really just stop whenever you want when it comes to like if you feel like it's getting to a point where you don't enjoy the movies or it's not what you want anymore you don't have to go forward with the story anymore if you're not into it um Mm. it's just really interesting where right now we have people that are like oh well all these marvel movies are gonna fail because you know we got either sjw woke politics or somebody's like oh well this movie's gonna fail because you know such and such reasons like um it just kind of gets annoying because i i watch people that shill and always bash movies and i'm just sitting here like there's no medium ground like i can't seem to find a reviewer out here that's very like middle on 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 movies from a a case-to-case basis it just i think what people need to realize is this kind of goes back to the cons of the Marvel fan base is, you know, we fall in love with these characters. They become our, our, our babies for say, right? Like these, these are our things that we have gripped onto. And, you know, we, I know a bunch of my friends and I make a running joke, you know, Tom Holland, Spider-Man, he must be protected at all costs. You know, it's, a running joke for us um but like we get really really involved with these characters right but the second that the characters start to change for the new generation to like them we don't like that change and you know we instead of recognizing that these characters are allowed to change so that other people can like them just like how we liked them and they can be introduced to these characters and then, you know, do some history and look into, you know, okay, well, what did this character look like in the past? Like, I was not old enough to watch Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man when Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man came out. Like, I had no recollection, like, no 
comprehensible thoughts of, ah, yes, this is what this Spider-Man looks like. I was introduced at the late Andrew Garfield, to which I then watched back, because I was like, oh, this character's kind of cool. And I met Tobey Maguire version, and I was like, huh, okay, you know, it's the same thing with Doctor Who. You get introduced to one of the Doctors, and if you like the character enough, then you'll do your back research and be like, okay, what are the other versions, the other series, the other takes and stuff? And I think what a lot of reviewers look at now is they look at the future of where is this character going? I don't like it. Instead of where is this character going? Is it going to aid in expanding the fan base to this newer audience? Because, for example, with Marvel, with Spider-Man, I I adore the Tom Holland Spider-Man. Love him to death. Obviously not your preferred <laughs> Spider-Man take, but I also don't think that Tom Holland Spider-Man is going to be right for the people who are 10 to 12 years old right now. As they get older, I think they're going to need a new Spider-Man who's designed differently for them to fall in love with, for them to then huh, this character is cool, and then look back at Tom Holland, look back at Andrew Garfield. And I think, while it's great and all, I think that's what people forget about, is Hollywood and these companies don't make the content for you. They make it for the people coming into age uh, and coming into the fan base and it's something I realized with wrestling the hard way (laughs) um growing up is growing up I was like oh my god this is the most amazing thing in the absolute world and as I get older I've kind of looked at it and I'm like okay this doesn't really fit my style I don't really get this I don't vibe with this but I'm watching the audience and I'm talking to other people and I'm realizing that there's a niche that is being targeted that just simply isn't me and there's nothing wrong with that you know you're expanding your options you're in trying a new audience pool i can't diss this company for testing out a few story ideas that just might not be to my liking and i think that's credit that's not given to these companies Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, they're businesses, so they want to make as much money thinking forward possible. Like, if you look at, like, Call of Duty and how it's changed, they now have this thing called skill-based matchmaking, which is to quote-unquote cater to newer players to make it easier for them to get... So instead of getting into a lobby and having somebody that's been playing the game or the franchise for years and just absolutely kicking their ass every match, they do it so that way they get placed with people along their skill level. So basically, if you're sweat, you play against sweats and if you're a noob you play against noobs it's kind of the same way when it comes to video games um they're looking at how do we maximize profits and if we have to change a character or something for the next upcoming generation well they're going to be alive longer we can milk them for money and then change again when the next generation comes around and i understand that um and i think some people do at the end of the day, we're all going to have our preferred versions. Like, I think Tom Holland plays Peter Parker and Spider-Man the best. I think he plays the character, both of those identities, the best out of the three Spider-Men. 
But mm-hmm. the writing around his character doesn't feel like Ultimate Spider-Man, which is my favorite Spider-Man comic run. I read all those graphic novels when I was younger. That felt more like um, Tobey Maguire. And then, of course, Andrew Garfield had a little bit of a darker take, a little bit different. They decided to go into his parents' origin story, which obviously they couldn't have S.H.I.E.L.D., because they weren't working with Marvel Studios back then, but in the comics, they eventually revealed that his parents were actually agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and worked for the CIA and got killed by Red Skull in a plane crash. So, you know, it was nice to see, um, you know, Spider-Man go from all these different generations and they were slightly adjusted. I don't hate Tom Holland, Spider-Man. I love them all for different reasons. I'll watch whichever version I like, depending on the day and what mood I'm in. But... I just, I'm honest about, like, you know, Tom Holland, great Spider-Man, great Peter Parker. It's just the writing around his character. But I understand that not everybody, including myself, is going to like everything Marvel puts out from here on out because times change. That doesn't necessarily mean your preferred tastes are going to change, but you always have those older movies to go back to if you ever need that fix of, you know, the character or the story that you love. So it's always there. And that's just something people, I guess, have to understand in general going forward. Um, Even I understand. I'm not going to enjoy Marvel going forward probably like I used to. There's going to be a lot of new characters that I didn't read about in the comics or care about a lot that they're going to introduce. Daredevil, I liked in the comics. He wasn't among my top two favorite. But Charlie Cox redeemed the character from the really shitty Ben Affleck movie, which was (laughs) god-awful. You know, it, it, he made me love Daredevil more than the comics could ever. And sometimes there's that. The movies or the people playing a certain character on screen might make you fall in love with the character more than they were on page. Which actually leads me into the next um, set of uh, questions and what we're going to talk about. From films or from page to film and how that's completely changed the dynamic of the fan base. So what would be your take on the drastic change from page to film? I think it was, you know, the only thing that Marvel could do is make that change because we created a more digital universe for people to immerse themselves in. And like, I'll be real here. Me, I don't read that much. I think... I have, oh my goodness, I don't even have that many books. You know, I struggle to read textbooks in college and in high school. You know, I looked for absolutely any alternative I could get. Even comics and graphic novels, you could not get me to read at all. At all. I fought my teachers and my parents every step of the way. As soon as I could stop reading out loud to my parent, have my parents sign off on a piece of paper to turn into my elementary school teachers to say, oh, yeah, I read a book in this amount of time and I spent the time reading with my parents. As soon as that stopped, my interest in reading went absolutely down the toilet. And I think I'm not the only one. So here at our university, as you know, Logan, I am an orientation leader. I work with first-year students and helping them navigate. And I've had this position for a few years now. And I've met 
many, many different kinds of students, even outside of the ones that I'm in charge of. And there are very, very, very few, very few that I have met that enjoy reading, even in their spare time, even these fanatical universes, they don't like reading. And so this shift to film is the same shift we were talking about before with comedy is you have to meet the consumer where they're at. You have to meet that demand. And I think it's interesting to see these characters come off the page for those that are familiar with the comics and the graphic novels and, you know, the, the written series and see them come to light in so many different ways. Cause right. When Marvel started making television and film series, you know, some of them we particularly don't talk about, you know, before, before the main MCU, you know, there was limited technology. Um, and so, you know, certain storylines, certain characters had to look a certain way, especially in live action. And then you look at movies nowadays, like ever since I really say Harry Potter was probably like the large turning point of CG graphics. But you look at all of these characters now, and there are some things that can be illustrated better on paper, but then there are other things. There there are storylines that you can tell with a glance or with a sigh and with a tone of voice that you can't draw. And I, I, I love this transition to film and seeing these characters morph into a million different things. And especially how we have like, again, Spider-Man, how we have three different versions of Spider-Man in live action in recent years, never mind the all the different Spider-Man we have in animation from Sony, from um, way back, like, again, Disney XD animated series. Like, the amount of characters of Spider-Man that we have to consume and to choose from Graphic novels don't give us that. Yeah, and it also really depends on the character, too, because some characters have, like, a shit ton of comics and runs because they do really well. And then there's others where you can barely really find a hell of a lot. Like, if you take a look at, like, Captain America or Iron Man, you're not going to find as many, you know, convincing stories or big character moments from them because they weren't really that famous until the MCU made them that way. Spider-Man was one of the few that really got, you know, hit really hard with success. It was kind of like those like one in a million areas where, you know, Spider-Man was able to hit the ground running. A lot of the Marvel characters, the ones that we know of, like the main ones weren't really well known back then. Like, you, you know, you take a look at, like, Black Widow, you take a look at Captain America and Iron Man, they were nowhere near popularity. The Hulk was way ahead of them in popularity, also helped out by the Lou Ferrigno um, Hulk show, which, you know, that, that was kind of one of their first, like, live-action, um, you know, shows that actually did well. 
But then again, you had a bodybuilder playing the Hulk. So, you know, it was the only way you could actually make him look muscular without all the CG and stuff. But there were other movies out. Like, they had an old... Uh, I can't remember if it was like 90s or 80s. They had a live-action Spider-Man show, which looked really terrible. Iron Man looked god-awful. Um, you know, there are just some characters you couldn't do back then. And it was all, you know, needed to be on page. But as you said, like, when technology became more available and advanced to the point where we actually be able to get, you know, an Iron Man movie and not have it look completely ridiculous, <laughs> it, it put it in front of more eyes because our generation is more keen to TV because that's what we grew up with as to where, you know, if you're older than our generation, you would be reading comics or radio. So it'd be very, very different media. And to have that transition you needed, because yet again, businesses wanting to make more money, you've got to adjust with the times and with the technology and take advantage of that technology to put your creations out in front of more eyes. Oh, for sure. For sure. Like, I remember I have a few DVDs of an old Captain America series where he was riding a motorcycle and his helmet. Oh, my God, is the most disgusting helmet in the world. It It's one of those bubble helmets. Like, it's not your modern day motorcycle or snowmobile or ATV helmet. Like, it's one of those bubble, like, astronaut helmets. And it <laughs> looked disgusting like I only I bought the DVD because one it was cheap and two I really really appreciate character development and you know they worked with what they had at the time but oh my god it was it was awful but you know thinking about it now if Captain America and Iron Man weren't big in the comics what do you think the driving factor was for Marvel at this day and age, at the beginning of the MCU, to look at all of their characters and say, these ones, these ones are the ones we're going to work with. And these are the ones that we're going to make blow up. Because now we see we're getting... Um, a Winter Soldier and Falcon. Well, we have a Winter Soldier and Falcon series. We have a Loki Loki series. We have WandaVision. We have all these other series and this other content because the fans fell in love with those characters. But Marvel had to start from scratch and start somewhere when they created this line of this is who we're going to make big and this is who we're going to force the fans to love before they can fall in love with the rest of the characters and we'll go from there. How did they get caught up in the original two for cinema? It's, it's kind of hard to, to see why they would choose like Iron Man to be a first one, because number one, who's going to play him? I mean, maybe Tom Cruise, because they were looking at him, but, and then how do you make the suit and stuff, right? Because at the time, they didn't own, and still to this day, don't own the film rights to Spider-Man, so that's obviously off the board, and so they had to kind of go through and look, and they already had created, I believe in 2004, Ang Lee's Hulk, um, and of course, they at this point did not own the Hulk either, and to this day, they, actually, no way, I think they do own the Hulk now, but back then, Universal owned the Hulk, and that whole connecting the Incredible Hulk to the MCU was actually done in a post credit scene and with some reshoots and some late deals after production to get that movie to be connected. 
So when it came to Iron Man, they were like, okay, Captain America, Iron Man, Thor. They're relatively some of our more popular comics behind Hulk and Spider-Man. So it would be natural sense to put those on the forefront. They took a huge chance with Robert Downey Jr., especially knowing with like his, you know, drug abuse and stuff in the past. Um, it was a it was a big risk. And of course, you know, at the time they were owned by Paramount when Iron Man and like majority of the uh, phase one movies, they were owned by Paramount, not Disney. Disney, I don't think bought them out till about Iron Man 2. But Paramount had a hand in those original uh, movies. So their budget wasn't as big. They took a big chance, but they had Kevin Feige. And Kevin Feige was the very important piece to making all this work because Kevin Feige, I don't know if you knew this, but he worked on the Maguire Spider-Mans. He worked on the Andrew Garfield Spider-Mans. He's worked on a lot of them, even the X-Men movies. He was a part of working on those movies. So his storytelling and vision of where they were going and taking those big chances is what really led them into the success that they have now. They had to take a big leap of faith with a character that's not as well known as Spider-Man or the Hulk, because they didn't have those IPs, taking an actor that had a criminal record and that wasn't really looked at popularly at the time and not having the biggest budget. But then they made over $800 million at the box office, which is pretty unheard of at the time. It was a pretty big deal. Um, so Kevin Feige really would be what mainly set them on the right path more so than who they got as an actor and the character, because that was all a leap of faith, but Kevin Feige's vision and how he knew where he wanted to go and stuff, that was really their saving grace when it came to making those movies and starting that whole franchise. Now, do you think we would have had a different end result? Same team, right? Still, still have Kevin on board. But if different characters from Marvel were chosen for these introductory films? That's that's really hard to say because, like I said, with Iron Man and Captain America, they weren't nearly popular or as well known at the time. Um, could have it have changed it? Yes. Um, but it's really hard to tell because it could have also gone in the similar way where those other characters, hypothetically, that they use instead of Iron Man, Captain America, and Thor would then be the main, you know, popular Avengers now. So it's, it's kind of a, maybe it could have changed. Maybe it wouldn't have been as good, but I can't really say because that's one unknown that I couldn't have the answer for. I would say maybe a little bit because they chose some of their more popular characters, but it's still hard to say because audiences may have, because there was a black widow film in development for phase one, much darker than the one we got back then. They were allowed to do much darker things in the movies, but you know, it it may have been a little different. I think that it it couldn't have really been much worse or, or it couldn't have been much less popular but it's hard to say, in all honesty. I think, me personally, I think Iron Man was a good choice just because, like, as you said, you know, in 
the earlier 2000s, you could work with darker storylines. And I think toying around with Tony Stark's alcoholism and his claim to fame going to his head, I think that arc was drawn very well for the time. And I think I would have liked to see them bring Black Widow into a larger spotlight, which would have been... I shouldn't say very revolutionary because we were we weren't the best in the 2000s and I mean we're still getting there but as far as like you know main character female representation it would still have been a very very big move um and but I think that her storyline would have been better painted in that early 2000s grunge and I think Captain America, I would like to see him with a more, com- like, I I don't want him to turn into a comedy factor like what happened with the Hulk, but I would like to see him, like, as we saw in these more recent films with those one-liners that are, like, those socially awkward I don't fully understand what I said, but I'll say it anyway, one-liners. I live for those. I think those fit his character so well. And we didn't see that in the earlier Captain Americas because it was made for a different time. So I I would love to see him introduced a little later if like we could redesign the MCU. And I'd like to see... Black Widow be introduced more in depth earlier because again that that 2000s grunge would have fit Natasha Romanoff so perfectly we could have painted such a much better picture of her I definitely agree um I want to talk about this but since I have like an hour uh, limit per segment that I do, I'm going to end this segment and then I'll send you an invite to another segment so it can refresh the whole hour because it'll, it'll immediately stop recording. We're at 53 minutes. Okay. Um, so I'll just send you another invite and then we can continue talking about this. But this is a pretty good conversation so far. I haven't been able to do this in a while, so it's actually fun to have a podcast where we can actually talk to somebody else. <laughs> That's why I'm here and I'm having a great time too. It's again, it's one of those things where I try to talk to people and because of my favorite characters and my outlook, not all ideas hit. And so it just kind of like falls flat and I'm like, okay, we can move on, I guess. No, you just on this podcast, you just be yourself and you give your honest opinions. Me and my friends back when we used to do this in high school, we all had very different opinions on a lot of things, but it was great to have the the different opinions because it gave a voice to a bunch of different people because some people agreed with what they said, some people agreed with what I said, and it wasn't just, you know, one person. So It's a conversation, and that's rare to come by nowadays. Yeah, so I'm going to end this, and I'll send you another invite, and we'll talk more about Black Widow. All right. All right. All right, we're back. I had to get some water, so it might be a little loud for a quick second. No worries. What? Somebody probably already shot my deer. Oh, I'm doing a podcast for class. All right, back to Black Widow. So, 
Any more thoughts on Black Widow in the early 2000s before I give my piece? <laughs> um, not readily. I just, you know, I just watched the Black Widow, the 2021 Black Widow. And don't get me wrong. I love the movie. It's a great movie. I find it really, really hard for me personally to hate movies because what I try to do when I watch movies is I enjoy them at the forefront. I don't try to look into them too much so that I can just enjoy them. And then I'll watch it a second time in which I'm like, okay, this is blah, blah, blah. This is blah, blah, blah. Eh, eh, it's not the best. Or, oh my God, I love this. I love this. I love this. So we're still in the initial euphoria watch of Black Widow as much as I already have an inkling of what my nitpickings are going to be. But I think 2000s would have fit Natasha Romanoff so much better. Yeah, I, I feel like because with how dark N- Natasha's uh, backstory is, like in the comics, the Red Guardian was not a father figure, it was actually her husband. And they had gotten married um, and they had faked his death to turn him into the Red Guardian and to get Natasha into the Black Widow program. She ends up meeting him on a mission later on and then he ends up getting killed not too long after they meet again. Um, but for for the movie, I was very disappointed for a, a multitude of reasons. Number one, I've wanted a Black Widow movie for a long time. Um, because her character has always been interesting to me from the comics, and I really like the Cold War spy espionage stuff. Um, the main problem with movies today is the way they advertise them. For instance, when Captain Marvel came out, I first of all, I didn't care about the character from the comics, number one. Number two, instead of advertising the movie with an interesting plot or a personal story or a conflict... They were just like, oh, we have a female superhero. Come watch it because we have a female superhero. Mm-hmm. That's not the way you wanna, that is not the way you want to advertise your movies. And you want to advertise, like, you want to have a good character at heart. That is what you need to have. If they happen to be a female and a good character, that's what you want. You don't want a, oh, we have a character that's a female. You want a good character that is a female instead of just a female character. Because like with Ghostbuster 2016, I could give less of a shit who's acting or playing the role if I'm not interested in what the story is or what the personal arc is. I'm just out of it. Captain Marvel bored the shit out of me because Carol Danvers was kicking everybody's ass, was a snarky asshole, and even when she remembered who she was and got her quote-unquote full powers, I was like, I don't feel like she got any stronger because she's just been kicking everybody's ass the entire time. I didn't feel like there was really a hero's journey. But with Black Widow, I felt like if they... First of all, the beginning of the movie was great. And, like, the opening credits with how dark they were. I was like, if Black Widow was like that and you really delved into her backstory, you would create such a great um, personal story and conflict with her. And, like, when he went to kill Drakov's daughter... And then she turns out to be the Taskmaster, which, oh, that pissed me off so bad because Taskmaster is my favorite villain from the comics. And I was sitting there and I was like, number one, her sister is outshining her in her own movie. That's your first problem. Your second problem is you didn't really show much of her backstory. You did a little glimpse. You didn't even go into the really dark 
harsh parts and all the really like when they were talking about um basically having the operation done so they couldn't have kids on the helicopter they made it into a joke a serious tone into a joke and i was like i i it doesn't make me feel anything because you're turning it into a joke instead of having that serious moment just stay serious and then with you know the villain so one note like we okay we have this guy that's in an evil james bond flying fortress and <laughs> he he's controlling the black widows and he's a clear misogynistic asshole and then he's using his daughter but i was like what would be what would have made this movie better is number one Dracov's daughter stayed dead and from the comics black widow is friends i believe with uh tony masters who is taskmaster in the comics now, since she was working with S.H.I.E.L.D. to get rid of Dracov to, um, you know, go into the United States and, you know, have free passage and stuff to work for S.H.I.E.L.D. and whatnot and to, you know, clear the blood out of her ledger, she had to blow him up. Now, what you could have had done is have Tony Masters be one of her best friends trying to help her, you know, get through the mission and, you know, get her back to the States. And she ends up blowing him up inside the building. Now his daughter, Dracov's daughter stays dead, but then you come to find out that when Dracov survived, he cut a deal with Tony um, being like, Hey, she must not care about you that much and care about her own well being that she was willing to kill you, giving him a good revenge plot to why he would want to go after Natasha as Taskmaster. And then when it's revealed that it's one of her best friends, there's more of an emotional impact because she still had killed a kid. And on top of that, her best friend, who she thought she killed and was dealing with that guilt, coming to find out that her, her past sins are coming back to haunt her in the form of Taskmaster. And I was like, that could have been, you could have kept Tony Masters. You could have kept Taskmaster from the comics in this movie and it would have made sense. And you could have made her hero's journey and, and, and have some actual consequences in there. But instead they're just like, oh, she's alive. And then by the end, it's like, oh, it's all fair and well. You know, she gets the magical red dust and she's back to normal now and evil bad guy's dead. And it, it, it just doesn't feel like as good of a movie as it could have been. There could have been so much emotional moments, so much heavy weighted dark stuff in that movie that needed to be in that movie. And With because the social commentary now, especially around hysterectomies and abortions, <laughs> and like that's that's a huge topic of conversation right now. To have a multimedia film and a multi-million dollar franchise targeting that and having a serious conversation about it. I would love to see the conversations like stemming from that and the debates like having that be part of our modern day conversation, right? Because movies are just, you know, they're made up worlds based on the world we're currently in. And I would love to see more conversation around that for us in real life to, for example, on this podcast, debate about. Uh, on this podcast, we don't debate about the hot topics. I should make a second podcast for that. I normally do uh, debates with my friends or stuff. Very friendly. I'm very low-key about it. But, yeah, no, th there's so much that they could have done with the movie. They just, they didn't. And then that's kind of the thing. Like, they'll advertise it as one thing, and then they just don't do anything with it. And it's just like, okay, 
uh, it just it's disappointing because when it comes to when it comes to how Marvel and superhero movies today treat like women when it comes to the movies, they're like, oh, we can get the feminists on board with this movie if we just promote it as a as a female strong power movie instead of you know making a good relatable character and interjecting some of that stuff in there in ways that make sense, and so that way you have the people that you know can understand the message and have it be out there but then if you just have people that you know don't want to listen about today's messages and they just want to go enjoy a movie to get away from the real world you can kind of fit the balance of both because you're not beating people over the head with it but at the same time you're not completely removing it so you can you can kind of meet both both um groups that way because if you write something into the story and people are like, oh, I can relate with that. Or they have an actual genuine connection to the character of the story being said at that point, it might not feel like a talking point to some people, but in other ways it, it can be showing real world problems, but it's so well written that maybe some people don't notice. So it can fit both. It's just the problem is today. We either have, People just be like, oh, we're going to beat people over the head with this and be like, you need to watch this movie because it's got social commentary. That could turn half of a fan base away from a movie because mm-hmm. some people just use movies as an escape, like video games. Me, I'm personally among that community that's just like, I just want to go watch a good movie with a good story. If you want to have social commentary, I don't care. Just make sure it's written into the story to the point where I don't really notice it. Instead of just making like a complete segment like in Captain Marvel where you had that one asshole on the bike that was being a douchebag. We get it. <laughs> like it's very obvious. Mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like Captain Marvel was a movie of just beating you over the head with a stick on everything. And it was like, we oh, get Captain Marvel was awful. Oh, that movie. Oh, I fell asleep. I real I fell asleep during that movie. Oh my gosh. The only good character to come out of that movie was Goose the Cat. I agree. Goose like, the Cat was awesome. <laughs> Goose the Cat is the only good character to come out of that movie. And I probably hate Captain Marvel more because her movie pumped her up to be this overbearing powerhouse which i know like her powers even in the comics she's still like you know a god basically um like like more powerful than thor like master of the universe and they built her up right at the end of infinity war they had the cell phone end credit scene where you saw her logo and then they introduced us to her and so i'm sitting there right I don't have that much of a background into the comics. I don't know these characters that well. So I'm sitting here, I'm ready for Endgame, and I'm like, she is going to be the reason they win. That's what she was built up to be in the cinematic universe alone. The way that they wrote her at the end of Infinity War and then her movie. She was the reason the Avengers would win in Endgame. And... She has how much screen time in Endgame? Oh my god, I have never been so pissed. And especially since they marketed her as, hey guys, we have a female powerhouse, right? As you said, it wasn't because they had a good character who just happened to be female. They marketed her as a female powerhouse. Come watch this character. She's a female. And then they wrote her to be the end-all game-changer. And then we get to Endgame, and I have never been more disappointed than when I tried to make a grilled cheese and set the stove on fire. Like, that is 
that is the level of disappointment I had with her in Endgame and her character overall in the cinematic universe. Oh my god. To me, to me, it was like, so not only do you have an unlikable character from her own solo movie carried in this, but what pissed me off about this movie when she came into play, she literally could have beat Thanos by herself. And I was just like, so what's the point of the rest of the Avengers being here? She's literally kicking his ass by herself. Why is everybody else here? And there was that one scene where all the female Avengers came together. And I was like, this would be a really cool scene. But here's the thing. She blew through the entire army without any help. So it just kind of felt like it was forced. Where if it felt like she actually was having a struggle of some kind, that would have been a more impactful scene. Like if you look at Scarlet Witch... She's a well-written character. She's really powerful, but she's dealing with internal anger and guilt. She's always guessing herself and looking at herself like a monster, like from Civil War after having that explosion with crossbones in Lagos, Nigeria. So, mm-hmm. you know, her character, yeah, she's strong, but she's also a well-written character. And like, here's the thing. A lot of us guys, we don't care if they're strong female characters. Look at Sarah Connor, look at Ripley from Aliens, but they're well-written. When you just have a female character that's just like, well, I'm better than men and go fuck yourselves. I'm going to replace you. And they aren't likable. That's what we have a problem with. And even in the comics, they're starting to do this where they're trying to make female characters be the like too manly to the point where it's like, it just feels like it's forced and it just, it doesn't feel natural because for instance, if you were to, you know, watch a, like Captain America on screen, right? We know what Captain America looks like, what Chris Evans looks like. Imagine Chris Evans all of a sudden acting girly on screen. It would be very out of place. It would feel very weird. It would feel like they just interjected this to be like, okay, well, we have representation now, but it it wouldn't make sense. And it scares me because I feel like in Hollywood today, sometimes they are trying to force representation into movies and it ruins Mm -hmm. characters. And I'm like, you can have representation. You just have to write the story and the characters well. That's all we care about. If you're just throwing people in or or saying, come watch our movie because we have LGBTQ uh, characters or come see our movie because we have a strong female lead, right? That's Mm -hmm. not going to drive an audience. Sure, it might make Twitter happy. Twitter might love that shit. But, you know, the people that are paying the money to watch the movie, chances are you're not going to be making much money or the backlash is going to be beyond belief. I mean, you know, it just comes down to writing good characters and good stories. Representation isn't the problem. It's when you market films or market stories on representation alone because then people are like okay you're just at this point you're just trying to make twitter happy or whatever you're not trying to give consumers a good product and people will get pissed off for that rightfully so and mm-hmm. it's it's just like it it does bother me because it's it's the same thing with like black widow and stuff like you know the way that they marketed the movie was a little bit like okay female empowerment's cool but then you get to the movie and it's like but Black Widow doesn't even feel like the main star of this film. Florence Pugh did a great job as Yelena. I mean, she did great, but you would think Black Widow would be the main character, not mm-hmm. Yelena. Um, so that's that's one of Marvel Marvel's main problems right now. When they announced She-Hulk, I'm going to be honest with you, I was scared. Because She-Hulk in the comics right now looks like a man. I mean, imagine 
Bruce Banner's Hulk, but with long hair. That is yep. literally what she looks like in the comics right now. She looks like a man. And let's be real here. If guys go to a movie and watch female characters, of course, attraction will play a role in ticket sales. Girls going to see buff dudes on screen, that'll play into the ticket sales. Same thing mm-hmm. with guys seeing feminine women. Guys don't, majority of guys don't want to go and see a hulking, you know, woman. It just, it's not really their cup of tea. Same thing with girls. They probably don't want to go see Chris Evans, you know, not muscular and acting girly. It probably wouldn't, you know, do well with those audiences. Some people might like it, but majority of the audiences are like, just don't force a change that isn't needed there. Especially if it's not well-written, then you're really going to get flack for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm... I have a picture of She-Hulk in my mind that I think the end product is going to be too similar to Guardians of the Galaxy's Gamora. And I'm really nervous what She-Hulk is going to mean for the future of the MCU with the continued production of Guardians of the Galaxy. Because that is a very, very successful franchise within the MCU that we're going to see the continuation of a majority of those characters for a few years to come now. And especially with Marvel, in theory, introducing a multiverse here soon. Oh, they are. They just straight up are. Yeah, you know, they... I'm really, really worried because She-Hulk, if not produced properly can step on so many toes of other characters in the MCU currently. And with the multiverse, if She-Hulk is not made the way she needs to be made, if she is not written the way she needs to be written, oh my goodness, it could ruin Marvel's future of how they introduce and write other characters because of how they introduced and wrote her. I mean, from a Hulk standpoint, what it sounds like is they're going to get rid of the Hulk and transition his powers to her, which is going to piss Hulk fans off. I already know that because I was talking to my dad about it the other day, and he was not fucking happy when he heard about that. (laughs) Um, From the glimpse that I saw of She-Hulk, she looks like her comic self, um, tall. She's she's muscular, but not, like, really muscular. Um... But she looks like her original comic book self, which is the promising part. Um, it it just, I guess, depends on, you know, how they write her, that that's the next thing. Um, I never really read She-Hulk. I knew of her existence. I, I've seen her a few times in the comics, but I never really read her. I didn't even really read the Hulk much. Um, so I'm very interested to see what they do with her. Um, but I feel like Gamora and She-Hulk aren't going to really be too related other than the fact that they're both green. I, I think that their stories will stay relatively separate. Unless for some reason in an Avengers movie they throw those two together, but I don't know why they would. They seem very opposite on the spectrum. They seem opposite on the spectrum, and you can't have them meet, right? Because the entire concept of guardians of the galaxy is you meet all these different creatures from all these different planets and everybody looks different right but 
you know, with all of these other species of humanoid creatures, they need to have some sort of similarities to each other so you can identify, okay, these are this species, these are this species, these are this species, right? Like, identifiable features. And for Gamora, hers is green skin. And already having Gamora and Hulk interacting with each other is like, okay, two green-skinned individuals, but they're not related whatsoever. Like, it, for people not understanding the storylines at full capacity, for just general confusion of, oh, well, there goes the green person across the screen in the background, right? Like, when you have the fighting scenes of a million different characters and, like, you see somebody flying in the background, there's usually, like, one or two identifiable features, and we're just going to keep introducing uh, different green-skinned characters into the MCU. Like, right, let's paint a picture, let's paint Endgame, the final battle scene, let's imagine She-Hulk was in it. She-Hulk and Gamora, if they were fighting in the distance against uh, some of Thanos' minions, right, you won't be able to tell the difference between the two of them. There would be no difference of, ah, so we see in the distance here of this scene, like, even if you pause and take a screen cap, it's going to be so hard for you to be like, ah, that is that character. And there's not going to be a definable feature. And with a universe with so many characters, because in, in live action, you know, there's only so much you can change and make them look different because they're still gonna look like humans who are green because they're being played by humans <laughs> you know um there there is like some boundary where the more you add more and more characters you're going to lose these defining features and i'm looking at you know these screenshots and these teaser things of the upcoming She-Hulk. And I'm seeing a torso, her arms, and the, like, the bottom of her hair. That could be Gamora, as far as I'm concerned. Like, that doesn't have to be She-Hulk in that one screen cap. And the fact that I can look at this screen cap and not define the character worries me. My the biggest feature that would differ the two is height. She-Hulk is going to be way taller than Gamora. Second of all what they wear. Gamora tends to wear at least in the MCU um a jacket of some kind, pants where She-Hulk at least from what I saw from the teaser she was wearing her normal uh spandex jumpsuit um which is it kind of like i don't know how to explain it it's like as if you had shorts and like a short sleeve on but they were connected it's kind of what it looks like it's, um, it's a wrestling singlet is what it is it's a singlet with sleeves okay um so yeah her height what she wears her gamora's hair is red her hair is black um and th those would be the main Finding features because Gamora is going to be way shorter than her. Like, She-Hulk is tall. And that's the main feature that defines her other than being green. 
Um, so I think that you'll you'll be able to tell the difference between the two, mate, just based upon the height difference and what they're wearing. Um, because I personally, I've never really confused the two. Normally, I've I've been able to clear cut the two in the comics, video games, so and so. But then again, if people don't know the difference, I mean, I could see maybe where there's a little confusion. But if people know what Gamora look like and then they see another green being that is taller and is wearing completely different things, they'll probably be able to catch on. Um, I mean, I'd be more scared about trying to define the difference between the Hulk and Abomination. I mean, those two are pr they're pretty similar. So though, I'd worry more about those two getting confused than She-Hulk and Gamora. But that's well, just right? me. So that opens that avenue too is, again... As you add more and more and more characters, how are you going to keep them from mixing? I don't really think they can. I, I think that they just have to, you know, introduce everybody they can, hope that everybody sees, you know, as much as they can to, to get the grasp of the characters and whatnot. Um and just hope for the best because I mean, in the multiverse, so many different Spider-Men, Hulks, incarnations of Captain America. I mean, at some point, you're just going to get to an area where it's just you know you're going to have a bunch of many different characters running around, um, and that's just how it's it's going to be. I mean, you can try to define them the best you can by suits or by height or size, but that's really all they can do. Um, when you get into the multiverse, it's just something you're going to have to deal with. And if people don't understand the differences, you know, they might just have to have somebody explain to them or they are just going to have to catch up on some other things. But I, th I think that with the costuming and how the characters look, I think that that'll do good enough of a job, at least to the point where somebody's like, hey, I don't recognize that character. I haven't seen them in a movie before. Right, so that's one of the things that I love about Marvel is how it is now. You can watch any of the films. You can jump in at Infinity War. You can even jump in at Endgame, right? And obviously you're going to be missing some pretext. But for the most part, each movie can stand by itself. It has a complete beginning, middle, and end. And that just happens to tie to other movies, beginnings, middles, and ends. And... With the multiverse, I I love the multiverse coming into play here, but I'm concerned that as the multiverse gets built upon and we're introducing more characters, Marvel is going to lose that standalone concept. And again, that's what I love about it is that I can skip a movie of a character that I'm maybe not fully invested in, like I still have not watched Ant-Man and the Wasp and I can still watch all the other movies and not feel like I missed all that much in it. Actually, that's a lie. I think I have watched Ant-Man and the Wasp. I honestly don't remember because I, I didn't watch Eternals. it for the longest time and then I watched it and then I think I'm choosing to not remember it. Um, but the idea of it hasn't affected my enjoyment of the other movies and I'm really worried with the multiverse and to play here that might become a factor of you need to watch the other movies and you need somebody to explain it to you 
to enjoy the other movies. I mean, it's very well possible. The main thing is when it comes to at least what Kevin Feige and Disney has said, you're not going to have to watch Disney Plus shows to understand the movies, which sounds good on paper, but at the end of the day, you're going to get a little lost when Moon Knight starts showing up or She-Hulk or Miss Marvel eventually, which they're fucking going way away from the comics with her character, so I don't know what the fuck they're doing there. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Um, it, it, it's going to it's gonna be interesting because now that they have the Disney Plus shows, it's going to be a little bit different to continuity because not everybody's going to watch every Disney Plus show. I mean, me, I'm not going to watch The Eternals. I, I have no interest in The Eternals. I've heard very <laughs> mixed things about The Eternals. Some people oh, say, so it really makes I. no damn sense, but, you know, some of the characters are cool and stuff, and I'm like, well, that's not good enough for me, so I'm just going to leave that ancient alien shit wherever, and I'm just, I just don't care. I just don't care about The Eternals. It's that one Marvel movie that I'm just like, nope, I don't need to see it. Shang-Chi was good. Shang-Chi was a very good movie. But Eternals, I have no fucking interest in that shit at all. Yeah, we had um, a couple of other students in our peer group here um, uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, probably, probably a week ago. Probably not a couple weeks. But they went to see Eternals in theater. And... I was at my apartment eating some uh, salt, salt and vinegar chips, and it was nine ten o'clock at night. I'm winding down for the day, and I get a phone call from George, and I'm looking at it, and like, I I love y'all, I love y'all as friends and as my students, but for y'all to call me at like nine ten at night, I always assume something is wrong. Like, I feel like you would text me otherwise, and, like, I'd probably get back to you because I'm probably awake. But he called me, and I'm like, hi, is everything okay? And he and Isabella and Ty and Max, all I heard for 20 minutes was incoherent screaming and raging about how much they disliked Eternals. And I have never heard that kind of reaction from any anyone from any movie that was so dire that i would get a phone call (laughs) at 10 at night for somebody to just express their discontent i have never had that happen before before and i never thought that was gonna happen with a marvel movie of all things oh here's the thing Advertising for the movie, really bad. Number two, you're dealing with characters most people have no idea exist, including me, and I read the comics. And then number three, you're having to develop ten motherfucking characters in the span of two hours. How the fuck are you going to be able to be like, okay, every character gets a good story, uh, middle... Uh, end and a good beginning and we're gonna wrap it up in a bow. No fucking way. And then you have to deal with the ancient aliens, the celestials, and dealing from the beginning of humanity to present day. Like, what the fuck is going on in this movie? There's too much to cover. There's there's so much to cover and I, again, like, I have not seen it. I don't know anything about the Eternals. All I know is... The bits and pieces I could pick up from this very aggressive phone call. And all I remember from the phone call, I shouldn't say all I remember. One of the biggest things I remember from the phone call was that Harry Styles was in the movie. And that set everybody off even more. 
And I went to go talk to somebody about it because I was telling this story to somebody and I was like, oh my gosh, it was so funny. I got this phone call at 10 at night and blah, blah, blah. And I think it was George happened to overhear me. And he said, you can't say that Harry Styles was in it because that's supposed to be a surprise. He's in the end credit scene or whatever. And I was scrolling on Facebook either today or yesterday and right Marvel verified Facebook page or Disney Plus or somebody's verified Facebook page for the company. Giant picture of Harry Styles and them saying, go watch Eternals. It has Harry Styles in it. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, didn't the student majoring in cinema just tell me not to say that? And then here the company is saying that. So like... They're desperate. They're (laughs) they're desperate desperate to get people to see it. It's also... It speaks to the fact that somebody who is studying how films should be introduced and should be marketed and how the storyline flows, like somebody looking into that more than you or I do, the fact that they are not on the same page as the creators, like the creators are not portraying the message that they want to portray and the person who understands the behind the scenes making of what they want to portray doesn't understand what they're trying to portray. It's a big mess. It is. It is. Like, I've never seen a serious fan who has a deeper knowledge set of Hollywood not understand what Hollywood is trying to produce. Like, obviously, can have different opinions of, oh, they did this right, they did this wrong. But usually having the same understanding of this is what they did trying to portray XYZ. Like, that that did not exist. And I've never been more confused, which honestly makes me want to watch Eternals just so I could, like, try to figure it out for myself because nobody can explain Eternals to me for me to be like, is it worth it? So I'm sitting here and I'm like, well, I might be stuck in a situation where I have to see for myself and it doesn't seem like I'm going to enjoy that time, but... The, the only good thing I heard about the Eternals is that there is a... The voice of Marshall uh, Ali who's supposed to play Blade in the MCU... And I was like, oh, okay. That's the only good thing in one of the post credit scenes? That's the only <laughs> good thing I can take away from this fucking movie? I was like, really? So, I mean, I would honestly say wait for it to come out on Disney+. Plus. Don't watch it. In th- don't, don't go spend good money that you could use on Spider-Man No Way Home, which everybody's <laughs> going to enjoy, to watch the fucking... Inter- no, just... just Wait till that comes out on Disney Plus. Uh, that, hey, that's I mean, on about. the bright side, you and I have a movie theater that only costs a couple bucks, so it wouldn't be throwing that much money down the toilet. We have to go see Spider Man together because I want to watch that with friends. I want that to be an event because that shit is going to. I'm going to cry like a child. I'm going to be a little kid when that movie starts. Oh. I'm so happy about that. I'm so excited. I'm even more excited. Spider-Man No Way Home comes out. Are you ready for this? December 17th, 
which is the last day of finals at our university. I think it would be the perfect celebration. It would be. Honestly, it would very much be. I'm so, uh, I I want to see an opening night. I really want to see it on the 17th. That that that's my plan. And you know, with with watching the new trailer, I'm like, okay, we got a lot to take in. We got fucking Doc Ock taking Peter Parker's iron spider suit and integrating it with his arms. Upgrading that. William Defoe's Green Goblin has his OG suit, but then upgrades his suit to look more like the comic book version of the character. Electro looks fucking awesome. I love Electro. Every time he shoots electricity, he gets that Electro mask from the comics, except he's Mm -hmm. not wearing his spandex suit, so it doesn't look as ridiculous. So that looks great. The lizard looked awesome. Glad they brought him back. Um, Sandman looks really good as well. I still find it funny at the end of the trailer, though, especially from the Brazil trailer, that they left in the part of the lizard getting punched by air, but we all know that's a different Spider-Man in that fucking scene. So, you know, this movie has so much riding on it, and not only does this look like I'm finally gonna get the MCU writing that I want out of a Spider-Man movie which is going to be Peter's going to have to deal with consequences of his actions. And I'm like, (laughs) yes, finally. Hopefully they're going to touch upon Uncle Ben at some point in this motherfucking movie. I swear they have to. Um, We're going to get Matt Murdock in it for at least a little bit, which just makes my heart sing because I love Daredevil so fucking much. Um, The suits look very good. So I'm really impressed with that. There's a possibility that Venom may possibly show up in the movie at some point. I don't know if that's going to happen, but there's rumors of it. Um, and just seeing all those old villains come back is really cool. It's just, it, watching that trailer, I oh my gosh, I was screaming so loud. I didn't even sound like a man. I was, I was, I was so, uh, such a nostalgia trip. That that's what I can say. That shit was nostalgia trip. I'm I'm very excited for December seventeenth. I've I can't say I've never been more excited because I have, but I'm very very excited. What are you looking forward to the most in the movie? In the movie itself. <sighs> Oh, you're killing me here. Ah, <laughs> uh, in I. Mm. <laughs> yeah, learning I, how to be a journalist. Good questions. Good questions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I'm probably gonna go with Doc Ock because Doc Ock is one of my favorite villains of all time. I just love Doc Ock. Uh, I just I can't I can't wait for the movie in general. I've I've fallen in love with Tom Holland's Spider-Man so 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 much, and like there are gonna be so many characters in this movie that I love so much that are like ranked in my top characters, and they're gonna be in this movie, and I'm just really excited, and especially being able to go see this movie with friends. The last time I went out and saw a Marvel movie with friends, I don't think I've told you this story. Ooh, this is gonna be a first. So, 
the campus activities board at our university bought tickets to go see infinity war on release day and we filled up a bunch of vans and a bunch of carpools and we all went to the theater and we had almost the entire theater room packed with students from our university and I was sitting there with a bunch of my friends and I brought tissues. I knew it was going to happen. I knew it was going to happen. I brought tissues. And as the movie went on, I got lower and lower and lower in my seat. And the cup holders, my lap, the floor around me was covered (laughs) in tissues. And I was a sobbing, absolute mess by the end of Infinity War because I get so attached to my characters. And as I said before, right, the first time I watch a movie, I watch it to enjoy it. I don't look too much into it and I'm not like, you know, waiting for something in particular. I watch it to enjoy it and then I'll critique it later. And so I was just watching it in the moment, feeling good. Well, obviously not good. And I was such a puddle of emotions that one of my friends who I wasn't as close with until that night that night was a huge bonding experience for us he carried me out of the theater because i could not stand up on my own and it was a huge bonding experience for a bunch of my friends and i to just watch that movie for the first time together and feel those emotions and feel comfortable expressing those emotions around each other. It was it was a wonderful time. And then we could all talk about it the next day, obviously, like, you know, by ourselves, trying not to spoil it for anyone who didn't go with us. But it was a wonderful, wonderful time. And I really hope to have that same experience with this movie. Minus Did- the crying part. <laughs> <laughs> This movie, for me, is like my Avengers Endgame. As a Spider-Man fan, this is the biggest dream come true that I could ever imagine in my lifetime. I never would have thought that on live t- like live screen, I would get to see three different Spider-Men that I've watched throughout my years of living. See Daredevil, one of my favorite Netflix characters, and one of my favorite now comic characters, in this movie with those guys, all these classic villains that I used to watch because I was born in 01, only one year before uh, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man came out. So I grew up with Spider-Man 2 and 3. like, mm-hmm. And then the Garfields. And uh, it, it's just, it's unreal. Like, I watched this trailer over 100 times already. I've kept count. And I cry every time because it's just, it's so emotional to me i'll probably go to the theater dressed up as spider-man i don't even give a shit i'll just be there like yep that's right i'm here i'm ready for this let's go like this movie is a big event for me it's in my honest opinion this movie to me is bigger than avengers endgame and infinity war and that's saying a lot considering how big those movies were I remember going to Jack's Jr. in Littleton back when it was still open. The entire theater, no seats left. The lobby was packed all the way up the street. It was a big night. But this movie, I feel like, is bigger than that. that that's how much this movie means to me. And it hasn't even come out yet. 
I don't so, think it's going to get as big of an audience as it should just because of COVID reasons, which breaks my heart because I think it should definitely be a much bigger event. But I'm I'm so excited and I don't think you are going to be the only person dressed up as Spider-Man even <laughs> over here in the St. Johnsbury Star Theater. It's definitely going to be a packed house we're gonna have to get there like a solid 30 to 40 minutes early oh yeah for this one yeah (laughs) like i don't i don't think it's unfortunately going to be as big as endgame or infinity war was in this area because of covid and um i just think people are they they want to go back to normal but in this area we're facing a lot of rising cases so they're being more cautious and trying to find some workarounds but i think some people are just kind of avoiding large gatherings and media places and such so i'm not sure but i hope i hope it's a great success for marvel um i hope you know we enjoy it and that we walk away feeling like our expectations were met because we have all these expectations now and, oh my goodness, I can't fathom to think what would happen if our expectations were not met. Don't expect Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield being the whole movie. I would say 30 minutes max. So, if there's any expectations to temper, that's where I would... Because I already know there's Maguire fans out there. All the Maguire fans are so toxic. These guys are expecting Tobey Maguire, their lord and savior, to be in this movie the entire movie... And they are going to be so pissed off when he's not. And they're going to be like, this movie sucks because Toby's not in it as much as they said he was going to be. It's like, no, it's Tom's movie. It's his conclusion. Obviously, the movie's going to revolve around him. You take the other Spider-Man and throw him in there the whole movie. Nobody's going to give a fuck about Tom. They're going to be like, Toby? Andrew? Who's Tom? Like, that's right. not what happened. So, like, they're not going to do that. Oh. Temper the expectations on that part. Just be grateful that they managed to get them back for this. My biggest interest about this movie is what is coming through the portal that Strange can't stop. Because we already know that by that point, by the end of that final battle, Toby and Andrew are already going to be there. So what the fuck is coming through that portal that he can't stop? Is it going to be Spider-Gwen? Are we going to get a live-action Spider-Gwen? Are we going to get Cindy Moon as Silk? Are we going to see Venom? What are we going to see? What else is coming? Like, that's what I'm really excited to figure out about in this movie because that part, for sure, at least with how it's edited in the trailer, since the final battle is at the Statue of Liberty and all the scaffolding and everything is broken away by the point that that weird shit's happening in the sky, what else is coming through? That is the interesting part I want to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. Oh, I'm so I'm so interested. I'm so excited. But I was on Facebook earlier, and I think it was Facebook. It might have been. It might have been some other medium. It might have been Instagram. But I saw this really quick bit that the Jovenshire did, and he is a former YouTuber gamer, and he still games, of course. But he's more turned reviewer now, and he was talking about the expectations of No Way Home. And he suggested that everybody goes into it knowing they're going to see a Tom Holland movie and then being 
happily surprised i mean obviously not surprised but you know enjoy garfield and mcguire also being in the movie if you go into the movie being like okay this entire movie is going to be multiverse i'm going to get all three spider-man all two hours you are going to be so disappointed and you're not going to enjoy the movie at its worth than if you go in there it's a tom holland spider-man movie first and foremost it is tom holland's movie that just so happens to have other spider-man in it Exactly. And I think that's what people need to remember going into this, or else even if Maguire and Garfield are introduced very early on into the movie, even if it's best case scenario and they are in a majority of the movie, you're still going to be disappointed because the movie wasn't all about them because it's a Tom Holland movie, so it follows Tom Holland and Tom Holland's friends and Tom Holland's enemies. You don't follow Garfield and Maguire and people need to know that or else they're gonna hate the movie even if the movie is the best thing to mankind yeah it's a big worry but I already know the Maguire fans are gonna be pissed off probably anyways because they just are I watched this one guy on YouTube and he's a Maguire fan and he hates everything that isn't Toby. And it's just like, gosh, damn, that is some of the most toxic shit I've ever seen. Oh gosh. But uh, there was a, a prediction that when MJ falls on the scaffolding, since it resembles the Gwen Stacy death in the amazing Spider-Man two, they're saying that maybe Andrew Garfield's the one that saves her and not Tom Holland to redeem himself. And I said, that would be very clever because that redemption arc would be nice because that poor bastard, man, you go to save your girl and instead she smacks her head on the concrete after a long fall. Not the funnest thing in the world. So be a good redemption arc for his character. I feel bad for Andrew. He got done dirty in his series because, you know, Abby Arad doesn't know how to fucking do movies at all. Oh, I, I don't like that guy. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm very excited. What we'll have to do is we'll have to watch a movie. We'll have to do like a group review on the movie. What we liked, what we didn't like. What we probably liked more than we should have, but we're overlooking it because of hype. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's going to be a great experience. Yeah, I'll definitely have to keep uh, close contact with you and whoever else wants to go see it and get everybody to go see it. I'll try to get my best friend to go see it if she's not busy, but we'll see. Oh, for we'll sure. See. Let's get let's get a giant group going. Let's get a party to go to the entire movie. Everybody, let's just go watch this one movie, okay? Let's make it do well. <laughs> let's make it the first billion dollar pandemic movie. How about that? I mean, That'd I'm down. Nice. I... Again, you know, this campus had an event where we all went to go see Infinity War. And while I know this is no Infinity War, we've still got a lot of amazing characters being showcased in this movie. And I don't see why not. The only problem is it's around Christmas break time. So unless people are going home, that might subtract a few people. You can convince them to stay if you say, hey, come to... (laughs) Come to this thing. Come to No Way Home. You can't say no. 
you will have no way home. I will make sure you have no way to go home if you don't see no way home. I'm just going to do wordplay. <laughs> Scare them. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's that's mostly everything covered. I mean, I, I would do a movie ranking, but we've been at this for about two hours. And poor Charlotte. Charlotte's going to be going through this like two hours, Logan. Jeez, are you thinking we're going to listen to all that? <laughs> oh, oh, see, that's why you cut it down, give her the highlights. Ah, uh, but this is all good content. Podcasts, I don't like to edit the podcast because everything's good. I throw everything in there. The beauty of podcasts, but. Two hours seems like a good time, and we can always do a pick back up and talk about ranking some of our favorite Marvel movies. Oh, no, we definitely will. It just won't be for class this time. It'll be for fun. So <laughs> we can make that however long. Not have, be like, nobody's got to grade this. We can talk about this for five hours. Yeah. But yeah, no, this was a good time. I'm very glad and happy you took your, the time out of your day to do this. It's really of nice of you. And thank you for having me. I definitely had a great time tonight. It's, again, as I said, you know, it's been a while since I've been able to have a good conversation with another Marvel fan. I, I think definitely people got to do this more often. See, it brings people together. It's a very poetic community. <laughs> Sometimes, unless they're really angry about something stupid. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll let you go. All right. Thank you again, Logan. You're welcome. And good luck on the assignment. (laughs) Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.